Whores Getting Harassed Online. What? Like, is this just the big, evil, mean, terrible farmers that people tell us to be scared about? No. Even these small farmers with a social media presence are being harassed. Oops, that was the voice that was supposed to come in there. <laughs> See, I told you there was going to be hiccups. And, okay. and Ona Lee, Chef Ona, and Chef and Farmer, Ona Lee, who was a guest from last season, is here with us. We should play the hello music, though. This is though. the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. Okay, so this is a whole new experiment of doing episodes live. Here we go. Uh, Only first, thanks for being here with us. How are things on the farm right now? Great. Yeah, we just got through our first uh, chicken harvest for the season. Um, we're finally getting some seeds down in the beds out front. Um, I'm definitely running a little bit slow this year, but um, actually, you know, we have the most animals that we've ever had right now. So I'm focusing mostly on animals. So everything else is kind of going to the wayside, but it's good. We're good. And I, <laughs> I've seen some, some slacking off posts recently. Oh yeah. <laughs> Silver Lake is 10 minutes away. I blame the light. <laughs> no, it's actually been unseasonably hot here. And yeah. for those who don't know, I actually live not that far away from Onalee's farm. Um, so we've been having the same weather. Stupid hot yeah. for May. And so it's kind of been crazy in the farming and growing food world. Um, yeah. But to, to dive right into it, we can get more into what uh, Claris Canning is all about and a little bit of background uh, for your story, even though if people want to hear your whole story, Check it out. Last season on the podcast, yeah. season three, I think it was episode 105 of uh, the Real Food, Real People podcast. You can hear her whole story, how she became uh, who she is today, what she's doing today. But only first, you you posted recently, uh, kind of, you said you had a bee in your bonnet about this issue yeah. of harassment <laughs> of farmers. And, and when I saw that, I'm like, okay, we've, we've got to have you on back to the podcast, not only to catch up with you, but also to find out what what is going on with this. I've heard about this. I want to hear from you first. Like, what are we talking about? What does this look? Now, this is, you know, a family show, so maybe we can't okay. repeat everything that's been said. Um, no, but explain what, 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 hap <laughs> what actually happens. Like, people harass you? online it has begun starting with me too but um this is something that i have known about and heard about um because you know i run a food business and i'm working on growing my own food and working myself up to farming as well but i will i always have and i always will work with a lot of farmers that are in my direct vicinity so you know, um, it's either like in person, like shop talk or noticing their posts or chatting with each other online kind of thing. Um, sometimes I have started to see it make it to folks, either stories or their pages, which I really appreciate because I think that this issue is something consumers should know about. Um, but uh, it's kind of unfathomable. I, 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 I almost, I, yeah, I like, I struggle with it because 
Um, to me, it's coming, the people who are doing this is coming from a place that's extremely like, and I mean, pardon my French, but it's ignorant. Like you don't, yeah. it's coming from an uneducated place. So to me, there's solutions in education and connecting with the people who are creating your food yeah. and also really fully understanding what ecosystems truly are. And, but what I've seen is let's call it, let's say grape, the word grape, you know what I mean? Yeah. Farmers are getting called rapists and murderers mm-hmm. and baby killers. So that's <laughs> like, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. People are actually saying this intense. to farmers. Yeah, it's really intense. Um, and I, I, yeah, like I said, I have my own run-ins with it recently, and this is where I'm coming from with my understanding of that. It's okay. So let's just say this. Someone like recently I had some videos that had like gotten a lot of traction. They went vast out into the internet space, which means that there's a lot of people who don't know me and I don't know all of a sudden on my page. Um, They obviously haven't listened to the real food, real people podcast episode with you to know your whole backstory. No. I don't know what these people's problem is. (laughs) They don't follow farmers. Um, but I had someone come into my inbox and tell me, and it, it ranges, I guess, because there's been a lot of different instances, but someone come into my inbox and tell me that I was a grapist because I had to put my hand inside chickens to make eggs and <laughs> breed them for meat. And I, I was just, I was kind of, I was so. Like, it, do they even also, know how it works? That's where I had the realization. I was like, you know, I think this is a place of, this is a, this is a big lack of education and maybe you're misunderstanding animal types and sure there's farms (laughs) that I don't, you know, I, that's just not how chickens work. (laughs) Um, I don't think we need to just describe or explain the, the chickens, (laughs) birds and the bees here, but I I think I'm tracking with you here. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, you give them food and water and take care of them and make sure when they're sick, you make them well again and the eggs just kind of happen. So, and you know, roosters are more than happy to do their job. So I have no, no input on that whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it was interesting because, because of these conversations, I've also like, there was another person who, Um, you know, for dinner a few weeks ago, I, you know, like my aunts and grandmothers and things like that, it used to be like, sure. And at times they went out and harvested a bunch of chickens at once, but without refrigeration or freezing, like a lot of times it was like, you go out to the pen or the yard and you are harvesting a chicken for dinner that night. Um, and I had talked about that with my siblings, uh, on a recent family trip. And I decided that like, I've never done that before. I've never, I've only done like kind of um, bulk harvesting for our own uh, purposes. And I decided that I wanted to harvest a chicken for dinner. I didn't post any gory photos. I didn't post any part of the process. I just posted pictures of the chicken on the grill and mentioned where it came from and how important it was to me that I was um, experiencing uh, something traditional in my family Uh, and someone said, you should be living, you shouldn't be living in the past. You should be living in the future and going vegan. Um, so they were shaming you for eating chicken. 
Yeah, for eating chicken and also just mentioning that I was like proud of raising a chicken and harvesting it and um would they rather you have like, would they rather have you go to McDonald's and get a McChicken would they have said the same thing? Or right. is this I mean <laughs> to me this sounds like more they're going after you because you're farming, you actually raised the chicken, you actually harvested the chicken yourself and so then you're the bad yeah. person yet well yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, there but then, but then to, to answer that, you know, it, it, okay, just to step back a little bit here, and yeah, and thank you back. by the way to everybody who's tuning in here on the Real Food Real People podcast, our first live live episode ever uh, with Ona Lee, chef and farmer Ona Lee uh, of Clara's Canning, who uh, was featured on episode 105 of the podcast uh, last season. So if you want to go check out her whole backstory, you can check that out there, realfoodrealpeople.org or any of the main podcast platforms or Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. Anyway, there's my little plug. Uh, but just to step back a little bit, there is this issue of, okay, should we go, should people go vegetarian or, or, or much more often these days, it seems like it's veganism that we want to talk about. And I think there are an awful lot of, well, as a percentage of the population, not a huge percentage, but there are a lot of people who have decided to go vegan. And I think it's a very small subset of those people who for some reason do it out of a place of passion and then ultimately anger uh, surrounding <laughs> the issue. And even within that group, there's kind of two things. I, I, I see one of the reasons for vig veganism, the, the arguments is for the planet, for carbon footprints, things like that, deforestation, et cetera, et cetera, environmental issues. And then there's, mm -hmm. which, and maybe I'm wrong in this, but I think it's kind of more the old old school argument which is the cruelty thing like we, it, it, yeah. it it's it feels cruel to us to be eating animals no one should ever be doing that under any circumstance and we are going to and again this is just this very small subset i think of of all the vegans out there many are fine happy lit and if you want to go vegan need to go vegan for health reasons Great. I have zero yeah. issues with that. I don't want to tell anyone what to do with their bodies. That's not my goal at all. So, but those are kind of the two camps, right? Are you thinking, yeah. you know, the, the people that are angry about it, is it because of the cruelty thing? I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like you're saying there. Um, okay. So as far as what I've interacted with and what they've said back to me when I mentioned, because like you mentioned, like, would it, would that have been said had it been a picture of a chicken sandwich from like McDonald's or something? A, I'm not sure. B, um, regardless of what else it could have been, I didn't have to leave my property to go produce what I had for dinner that night. Everything on the plate, the vegetables and the chicken was produced here. I think I had rice with it from California, but like, I bought it in bulk months ago and I haven't gone to the store to buy any more rice since then. So to me, it's like, what, okay. So if we're coming from the environmental impact yeah. um, and the carbon footprint, those chickens were hatched at Oak Meadows farm in Ferndale. That is 20 minutes from where I live. I went and picked them up from David uh, a couple months ago. I brought them to my homestead here I raised them. It was time to harvest. And then they were on my plate and the foot, the entire footprint of that. And never once did that chicken ever touch a piece of plastic. 
Um, so to me, I, you know, when I mentioned the environmental thing, uh, then it's like, well, no, it's an animal cruelty thing. And it's like, well, okay, I'm fine with, if you don't want to, like, like I said, I'm not here to tell anyone what to put in their bodies. That would make me uncomfortable, but I'm going to turn on this lamp. Sorry guys. I hope it's not weird. <laughs> there we go. No, that's good. That's good. Um, so I'm not here to tell anyone what to put in their bodies, but, and you don't have to eat animals if you don't want, but the idea that you can escape an ecosystem and being part of an ecosystem is not real. <laughs> um, dirt in itself is a carnivorous mass of many different organisms breaking down nutrients from many different sources from death and decay and other plant matter to produce nutrients that are viable for there to be the cycle again. Um, I have, I'm under no illusions that all of the nutrients that produce that comprise my body are only on loan to me. <laughs> when I pass away, bury me raw under a tree. <laughs> yeah. Um, everything that, and the chickens themselves, <laughs> if you were severely harmed and unable to move, and stuck in a place with chickens themselves, they wouldn't think twice. That, I mean, that's just how it is. Yeah. And uh, it's, to me, I'm not going to tell anyone else what to do. So I find it very interesting that it's a, it's not just a traditional thing for me. It's a spiritual thing for me that like, I am part of a cycle <laughs> I need to do and respect. And I, I do not agree with factory farming in massive quantities. I do not like, that type of I wouldn't I don't want to consume animals like that either so I produce what I eat as much as possible and what I don't what I can't produce here I get from farmers who I know are taking really good care of those animals as well um, and the idea that all of us are heartless and callous and graping and murdering is it's just like I said I think that did that in itself is coming you're being educated on the cycles of the ecosystems and agriculture by people who don't want to either face reality and, or don't know anything about these systems, you know? So let's, let's take this a step further though, because you, and you hinted at this, this is more than just, Hey, people are nasty and people need to knock it off. Mm -hmm. And remember that if, if you're about the greater good, I mean, first you have to treat people with dignity and that's yes. obviously not happening there. That has to be mm -hmm. an ingredient. Otherwise, what are you doing? And that applies right. to anybody in my, in my mm -hmm. view. And I think a lot of people's view, but beyond that, beyond it just being a nuisance or really a sad thing, an offensive thing, whatever, what's the effect of that in aggregate on the food system? I mean, you're saying this is a problem for the future of family farming, small production, the future of where I think a lot of us would like to see our food system head. You know, I, I will say this too. Every single farmer that I know that has anything to do with animals, regardless if it's eggs, dairy, meat, has been, this has been a huge thing for them. <laughs> hmm. um, and a lot of them are really good at keeping their heads, like their chins up and not like letting it get to them. But I know that it's heartbreaking. Um, I've understood this from them and like, you know, my interactions with it, I feel like pale kind of in comparison to some people's or some other farmers. Um, but I like, this is the part that really hurts to me is that, 
I don't think these folks know exactly the precipice point that we're standing on with farming in this day and age. Mm. Uh, I come from an agricultural family on my mom's side that is as many generations back as we know. And um, the chain was somewhat broken in my, like my mom was born and raised on a farm and in her first marriage was a farmer with her husband uh, or at least lived on a farm with her former husband. Um, and due to all of the pressures that our farmers are up against between land and, um, you know, gigantic food systems, boxing people out, um, that lineage was broken and I'm doing my best to protect that. Um, and this is like a real, it's a very, very, and I'm not, I'm not unique. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, my story is very similar to many other people, whether they're first generation farmers or they're many generation farmers and they're trying to preserve something that's very special to them. No one does this because it's fun. It is. It can be fun. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> no one does this because you're going to make a ton of money and it's fun. <laughs> we're doing this because <laughs> it yeah. means a lot to what we're to us. Um, and I don't think people understand exactly how much people have invested emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially in this and when you come and say things like that it's such a deep wound <laughs> mm. and it comes like i said it comes from such a place of ignorance because there's like the i it's the very tip of the iceberg that they're talking about but there's all of this underneath and also like would it really be better if massive agricultural systems and multi-billion dollar companies were producing all of our food and warehouses and packaging it from global ingredients and shipping it all over the place and making like, I mean, I, 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 this is the only type of, it's what I, to me, it's the difference between, um, you know, this is like maybe a farm simile, I guess, but like that feels like feedlot. <laughs> I don't want to live on a feedlot. Yeah. I want to be part of my food system. I want to be free range. <laughs> um, and I don't care what you eat. Like if you want to eat vegan, it doesn't matter what you eat. If the local and the how and the where are the most important parts, it's not the what. I think that's been so, like a, a continuing theme throughout yeah. every conversation we've had on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And I should know the number of, I think it's 120 some, I forget the number of episodes we've done now. Anyway, it's a lot yeah. and it's all over Washington state from the tiniest mm -hmm. farmers to some of the biggest farmers and everyone mm -hmm. in, in one way or another is saying something similar that how you do it is so yes. much more important than whatever the label is that the marketing team might put on it. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes that's, that's really good information. Sometimes, right. well, like, like you're describing, because what you're describing is, okay, hey, let's say you want to go all plant-based and, and vegan. Mm -hmm. That's great. But if our entire system were to shift that way in a major way, that would very much disrupt, well, and, and as you're saying, move us in the direction of bigger and massive monocrop farming that a lot of people say they they don't want at the same time that they're saying that we need to, you know, again, this small subset of angry people saying we need to go vegan. When you know the reality of farming, you know, it's not well, as easy as that might sound. No. And also when you get into sourcing ingredients globally, that also is creating, and don't get me wrong, <laughs> there is many heinous abuses to workers in our own country. However, <laughs> 
the farther you get outside of family farming and the bigger it gets and the farther away it gets from your, like, you know, outside of the country, uh, like yeah. something like 75% of cashews are harvested with extreme severely underpaid and, and or slave labor and child labor. So, and then you're adding on top of that, and that's and that's that's on other in other parts of the the globe, right? Because most of the cashews don't come from the U.S. No, they can't. They absolutely can't come from the U.S. So to produce cashews, they're either um, it's mostly in Africa and Vietnam. Um, and so those workers' rights abuses are extremely important to me, and that's an issue that's close to my heart. Yeah. Um, and. Then you're getting into the shipping, which severely disrupts whale and shark feeding patterns. You're deforesting extremely complex ecosystems to monocrop these trees to produce the cashews themselves. You are pricing out locals from where these foods are indigenous to the point where they themselves cannot even afford these products or the nuts themselves, which at some point, depending on where it is in the world, might have been a staple food. So you're removing that tradition and that ability to survive from other people. And the only companies capable of producing cashews are very large ones. Um, And yes, there are some fair trade companies and there's people who do put a lot of effort into sorting um, or sourcing these types of products appropriately, but that is the minority. It's extremely hard and it makes it extremely expensive and it makes that inaccessible. So sure, you know, eat what you like, eat what makes you feel good, eat what sustains you. But for me personally, I'm working on about an acre, three quarters of an acre and I, there is no way for me to produce enough protein mm-hmm. without the utilization of livestock to some degree. Yeah. Um, and right now it's just birds because of the space that I have. But, um, you know, and I've mentioned things like this, and it's one of these things where what I get a lot of times instead of a good conversation, and I will say this too, I have plenty of vegan friends I can have great conversations with. Same. It's, it's not, Same. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I will say when it comes to people who are willing to come into my inbox like that or anyone else's, that these aren't the folks that want to have a good conversation. So yeah. when I presented these kind of ideas or thoughts, it kind of the goalpost shifts from like, well, no, it's not about like it's about the animal aspect. It's not about the like environmental aspect. And I'm like, but wait a second. <laughs> I thought it you start I to have circular it, logic there. I can't, it, the goalpost changing this much is really yeah. difficult for me to follow and track. And then also the thing for me is I do really care about the animals. This is about the animals for me. This is about complex ecosystems. This is about the fair treatment of workers. This is about ensuring that indigenous peoples throughout the world have access to the foods that they have sustained themselves on for thousands of years. This is about making sure that children aren't being forced into labor that they shouldn't be doing. And when you know where your food is coming from and when you know the farm and when you have the ability to visit and see where your food is physically coming from, because I do believe in a mix of whatever you're capable of producing, you should or whatever, but whatever else you can't produce as much as possible, try to meet and like, like go to the farmer's market. If they have a farm stand, go to the farm stand, 
put in time with these people because you can physically see how it's produced. Yeah. And you know that, yeah, sure, there might be farm kits, but like, that's different. <laughs> um, I I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> um, uh, that is the difference because t- one of the things I also brought up when the person had an issue with the meal that I made from the chicken that I uh, dispatched that night was that everything on the plate with it was something that I produced as well. And I just asked, like, when you had dinner tonight, do you know where it came from and how it was produced and who produced it? Boom. That's that's real talk right there. It is. They didn't they didn't have an answer for me and they told me that traditional eating was living in the past, which I find very insulting for a lot of different reasons, but I didn't really engage much past that. But and I refused to because, you know, I named this after my grandmother and I it is a conscious effort of mine to uh, conduct myself in a way that I think she would be proud of. <laughs> uh, I refrain from engaging negatively. And like I said, if it's, if we can have a decent conversation, I'm all willing. Um, but yeah. I, I'm, did hit me <laughs> people who know me know that I'm personally just on like an increasingly kind of retro kick. And I, you know, it, old ways are appealing to me. Not that I yeah. always have the toughness to sustain them the way that my grandparents or before did, to be entirely honest. I mean, people worked my hard. My grandma had 10 at home on a farm. I, that's not happening for me, but, but I will yeah. do my best. <laughs> but I've also, you know, in the world of health, and, you know, I haven't really talked about it on the podcast yeah. yet, but I've kind of had my own health journey with some big stuff mm. the last couple of years. Um I've learned a lot about stuff and I was already kind of a nerd about it and I was already doing this podcast and then it became that much more personal to me and Mm -hmm. I'm seeing people say something I think is very true, at least in a, in a general sense, which is new diseases don't come from old food, you know, and, and, and people, people blaming, you know, just to take it a step further into nutrition and health and people blaming you know, increases in cancer and heart disease and, you know, autoimmune disorders and the list goes on and autism, you know, whatever might be blamed on food. Okay. But when it's, that's being blamed on something that people have eaten for thousands and thousands of years, it starts to get a little bonkers if you ask me. And I think that that was a point that I've seen other people make and it hit me. It was like, that makes a lot of sense. Well, again, it's, it's the, the how and the where is trumps the what and always will in pretty much every category. Yeah. Um, environmentally speaking, uh, justice wise, health wise in every, I, I mean, maybe this is where I get woo, but I do think there is something to be said about consuming food from the dirt that you walk on that is around you I think there is something because I don't I can't say what exactly what it is because it's not like I'm a scientist and I haven't researched it to like you know fully flush out my thesis here but there is something about like the minerals and like like there's it's almost like a harmonic like harmonics you know never in history um a question there Wait, hold on. Do you care as a chef about the quality of your ingredients and where they come from for each and everything? Or oh, <laughs> every single thing down to the salt. <laughs> um, I scrutinize what I utilize to a degree that literally keeps me up at night at times when I'm planning menus. <laughs> um, 
I have put in thousands of miles driving around Whatcom and Skagit County, meeting people, looking at facilities. Uh, some of these farmers are in this chat right now and anyone else who sees this video, like knows this to be true about me. Um, every single thing matters. And it kind of yeah. goes into the point I was just making about the harmonics of the minerals that surround you. Um, I know that sounds kind of kooky, but they're like never in history have we eaten so globally. Right. And never yeah. in history have we felt so apathetic. And I, the apathy, I think, is coming from a lot of different places. <laughs> but yeah. uh, never have we been so apathetic and so unwell and so disconnected. And so, um, and when, I, when I'm teaching cooking classes to people, because I had this realization as well, that I'm constantly like putting sources out there to hopefully get people to start sourcing to like, cause if I'm going to tell you to eat locally, you need to know where to get it. But if I'm going to tell you where to get it and I'm going to tell you to buy in bulk as much as possible, you need to know how to store it and you need to know how to cook it. Yeah. Um, I very gratefully came from a family where food preservation lineages were not lost. Uh, I grew up canning. I grew up watching my grandma help process meat from hunts and harvests. Um, I grew up with, a good portion of home cooked meals. Um, and I didn't, I had this, as I started this thing, <laughs> uh, I realized how many people had lost that in just one generation or two. Yeah, um, literally. And when I'm teaching cooking classes, I can see folks light up and I can see a deep connection. And like, you know, some people are saying like, I don't know how to do this. You do <laughs> ancestrally. You do. Mm. Cause it was only within the last 40 or 50 years that we really stopped producing. Your home should not be just a place of where you consume. Yeah. Your home should be a place of production. And I do get that they have removed this infrastructure from us, like sellers and like food storage sellers and prices have gone up. So it's really difficult to afford larger spaces to do this. I, yeah. I completely understand. Um, but I've also lived in a very, like a big variety of places <laughs> myself um so i feel like no matter what however we do this it, we can tailor it and um that's something i want even for the i want the best for these folks regardless of how bitter and disturbing the things are, that are said at yeah. times are because this is something i think everybody needs is this connection and a connection yeah. to some type of tradition whether it's, you know, your own tradition, if you have the ability to access that, um, or if not, I personally think like gardening and canning and yeah. pr food preparation is for everybody. Um, yeah. and or if somebody else does all of it, at least knowing those people. And, and that's what this yeah. podcast is about is getting to know right. those people and making those connections yeah. back to where we started with this harassment. I mean, what you're describing is the absolute polar opposite of this like anger. I'm going to harass a farmer online and tell them how evil they are and use, you know, terrible turn. It, it's the opposite of that. So it, mm -hmm. that doesn't bring anybody, even if, and I'm just saying this hypothetically now for the sake of argument, even if somebody was making a halfway decent point about something you should or shouldn't do to do yeah. again, just like the farming, how we communicate and treat each other, how you do it is as important as what you're doing. And yes. so this anger and name calling and just awful, awful thing, th these awful things are inappropriate 
for one. I think everyone can agree. Well, not everyone, because there's still a few people out there doing it. But like you, you talked about earlier, you talked about farming and people growing food and them being on the precipice. Is, do you know of any case where this kind of stuff has pushed people out of growing food? I, I think that this has added to the exhaustion of all other factors. I haven't heard of anyone specifically say to me that like this got so bad that I stopped farming altogether and this is the only reason. But when you combine, like I mentioned earlier, um, uh, the, the, physical to- the physical investments, the emotional investments, the financial investments all combined, if you're investing all of those things and at the end of the day, you're getting a slap in the face. For some people, that's too much. And it, it, it tips the decision in the wrong direction for yeah. them. Why, why would you want to keep, especially when you've put in the kind of effort that you have put in, and I know there are a lot of people, well, I think there aren't that many people who have put the extent of research and learning and stuff that you have put in. I mean, and again, check out her episode, Real Food, Real People podcast, only chef and farmer. It's, it's amazing what you have done. And, and learned, you know, to, to, again, bring this historical, this generational stuff that you already had in your DNA, along with this, you know, learning about even current science and how it's reaffirming in a lot of ways, a lot of those. Mm-hmm. But I would say, um, you know, the, the upshot here for people is that if you're trying to do a good thing, and, and that's where I was going to is that a lot of people are trying to do a good thing by getting connected to the soil and to their food and growing veggies and growing their protein um, of various kinds and whatever it might be and trying to re reconnect with the how uh, mm-hmm. of, of how it's done. Then to be slapped in the face that way mm-hmm. is it's awful. Um and, and I think that's what you're getting to is like, why, you know, if you do all that, you make all the sacrifices necessary, your heart's already very much in the right. Is anybody doing everything perfect? I think that's another part of the problem. There's this like all or nothing mentality and virtue signaling around that, that you have to do all of the things perfectly. And that's where no. I, I would even go back to like, you know, every single ingredient. I have to be honest. I'm not there yet. I know some that, things, but there, I, I also make trade-offs and I know there are some things where I'm like, I, that's beyond you know? what I, what I can do right now. So it is what it is. Anything that I can do, even, you know, one part of my plate, um, is better than none of my plate, uh, being, you know, from someone I know or something I know about or something close to home or, you know, something produced the way that, it, you know, I know is important. All, all the, you know, why get so hung up on everything has to be so pure when I think you kind of went, no. pointed that out. It's like, if you look at what, what they actually have to say, it's like, do you know where your food actually came from, how it was produced? Then they can't answer. Yeah, that's because none of us are perfect and we should all be encouraging each other just to be getting better at what we do rather than this attacking, which is, like, as we're saying here, it's, it's a problem for the food system if we want to move in this direction. It is going to push people out of doing it. Right. And this is another, I made kind of a follow-up video recently more about how there is no diet 
there is no one method that is going to save you and everything else. Because I see two polar opposites forming right now. There is this big kind of vegan pole happening. And then there's this like ultra carnivore thing happening too. And that's all well and fine. But here's the deal. It's not about a few people doing anything perfectly. It's about as many people doing whatever they can. Even if that's literally like one pot of herbs that you're growing on your windowsill, think about over time how much plastic and how much like uh, resources that saves by it never like you not trucking that around or mm. going to the store to buy it. Yeah. Um, I'm not a hundred percent either. I, you know, I also, <laughs> my dad was pretty, um, my dad was kind of a health nut as a kid and my mom definitely at times was too. Uh, and there were times where he really like restricted sugar and like would really scrutinize ingredients and like, get really caught up in that kind of aspect of it. And I mean, it just made me and my sister when we could sneak away to the corner store to go buy candy, we went buy candy. Like right now in my freezer, there's tons of bags of berries that I've picked by hand at mama's garden and froze here. There's a ton of meat from local farms. And there's also ice cream from like, I live out in the middle of like nowhere. We're 45 minutes from a decent grocery store. Uh, my husband just bought some ice cream from Starving the Sands. What's in it? I don't know. Am I going to eat it later? Yes, I am. <laughs> See, you're not perfect. <laughs> I'm, not. Somebody, I'm not. Somebody obviously needs to hate on you to fix that problem. I mean, really, is that the logic that, that some people have? It, like, if we really say some awful things to this person, we can fix that and make sure they stop eating this ice cream that they don't know. What they, applying well, that logic to any one thing is insane, and it's hateful. There's, there is also, to me, a very significant, um, you want to call it spiritual, you want to call it energetic, whatever it is you're eating, that you're grateful for it, and you're, you're there's a joy around it, and you're not it's not fear-based in any way. Like whether it's the ingredients, the calories, the macros, the sourcing, da, 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 da. I'm actually, I'm really divorced from that idea. <laughs> like, um, am I going to have a dollar fifty hot dog at Costco? Sometimes I am like, <laughs> it's fun for me and my son. Like I have a kid, like I'm not going to, I don't know. I'm not going to deny like childhood joys for that, you know? Well, and, and um, it's about balance. I mean, that's kind of what the upshot was of what you were just saying. And really, the problem with any one of those kinds of things is if that's all we're having, the lack of yeah. balance. If all you yes. had was Costco hot dogs, there's going to be a problem. <laughs> but guess what? If you have one, your body's going to be okay with that. You know, if you yes. have a piece of candy, you know, say, so, oh, yes. and sugar is terrible. And because of my personal health journey, I've learned a lot about what sugar really is and how it can be a drug and how it can be a poison yeah. and toxic, really. Mm -hmm. But it's also something I eat every day in various quantities. Right. I mean, the point is, me I don't just eat cotton candy yeah. all day long. <laughs> no. And for me personally, like, you know, when I'm baking at home, like I use raw organic cane sugar because it has the most mineral content. And I think the more whole the product, the less... Um, the less, uh, you know, when things are extremely highly refined to the point where it is like a, like essentially a, um, a commodity drug as opposed to like a pharmaceutical drug, yeah. your body no longer recognizes it as well as yeah. when it's in its more whole form. So yeah, sure. When I'm baking, I, I have done a lot of work over the last like five years or so to translate, um, uh, 
the Costco hot dogs thing just set this chat totally. <laughs> Um, uh, to translate a lot of my classical training to, you know, because King Arthur flour is actually not a terrible flour, but that's what I was trained to use in my professional cooking um, experience. And yeah. But to translate everything I do to more whole products or local products like um, Fairhaven Mills flour or Cairn Spring Mills flour or butter that I make from scratch or organic sugar that took some like time trials and whatever. But at the same time, like if a neighbor or someone brings me some cookies or something, I'm not going to ask what's in it. I'm not. <laughs> um, I, and I guess I do have like a, that is like a, a something I'm, I, you know, a, a blessing I have that I don't have any food allergies technically. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about that per se. Um, but I, yeah, I think the fear, food being fear-based in any way, whether that's your internal conversation or the conversation you're having with other people is also, um, it can't lead to anything good. <laughs> And, you know, like, again, I want to circle back on the precipice point that I was talking about before. It's like, I really don't think consumers know how close we are to a point of no return that farmers have been. I mean, the last hundred years have been very difficult for local farms, but it literally becomes exponential every few. And honestly, OK, so. <laughs> I saw, I mean, I wasn't physically there, but as far as what I've been told and what I've seen in my family, um, one of the biggest changes in farming was post-Vietnam War. Uh, and ever since then, it seems like it's just extremely exponential. And in the last 10 years, I mean, maybe tell me if I'm wrong, there has been an incredible uh, resurgence of people taking notice of this and yeah. taking back control of their personal food supply through producing at home, homesteading, involving themselves in the sourcing. Um, there's been a lot. I mean, I love seeing first generation farms show up. But in addition to that, there is an incredibly terrifying wave of global, gigantic agriculture and, and mega food corps yeah. <laughs> coming to cinch off yeah. their corner of the market. Yeah. So regardless of why the food is produced or for whom or for what, I don't care if it's plant-based or animal-based or whatever. Um, like I said, it's, and we also didn't create the food system as it is in a day. So it's not, a, it's not, I'm not into the consumer shame either, but um, the, the attacking farmers, I, in a weird way, I'm kind of like, uh, people are very disconnected. <laughs> how food cooks uh and global gigantic agriculture is very scary yes um uh that reality is so much more disaster and i don't care what the thing is if you're willing to interject yourself into someone's life either if it's for like the vegan end of things or like the carnivore thing you have been sold something and you have somehow been taught to become some sort of like unpaid agent for the sale of this idea or these products. And maybe they don't understand that, but that's how it comes off to me Yeah, because the alternative, and I've, I've literally, I've seen people literally say like, you know, traditional food systems, all this stuff, like that doesn't matter. Like what really like, and so what if like these big companies need to be controlled this, like how else are we going to feed 8 billion people? And it's like less mega farms 
more small farms and self-production scattered in every community will feed 8 billion people. That is not an argument to me. (laughs) And it's also not a justification for, I mean, and, you know, I can't tell people what to do. I guess if you want to give up and roll over, that's fine. For me, that's not the case. And for a lot of other people, it's not the case. (laughs) Well, and that's where I have a problem too. But, and, and something I've been learning through this podcast and through the advocacy work that I do and just my life experience growing up around farming it's not always even necessarily the size um, of, of the farm that, that defines that either. And that's where people have to understand as well um, how it really works to be able to see yeah. that. And as you could see it, well, a huge farm, well, there can be good things and bad things about a huge farm, honestly. And we do, yeah. you know, need farms of a certain size to provide enough food for everybody. But back to what we've been talking about, it's how it, how are they actually doing it? And a small farm can do things really poorly and do a crappy job. And, oh, sure. and, and most people don't think that. Like, oh, a small farm is great. Well, not necessarily. Usually because they're very hands-on. Also, can a, a larger farm do a good job? Yes, absolutely. Can they do a bad job because they've kind of lost the humanity and they're just a system? Yeah. But you got to know the difference in there. Yeah. And it depends on who's paying. Like, is it an independent, very large farm or is it a, um, is it like a cooperative or, you know, like this person with the, you're going to, I'm going to get wrecked in the comments, but does locality or how something is grown slash raised more important to you? It's a combination. They kind of go hand in hand. And like, this is just what we're saying where, I don't know why you'd get wrecked for that question. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it's a common, it's not the, the, the abstract here for me is more the what the locality and how are tied together. So yeah. that's, they're equally important a lot in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's totally the case. You're right. Like, and I have, I don't remember what video it was. I posted, Actually, no, I think it was this one <laughs> where I was talking about people harassing farmers online. Yeah, yeah. And some people did say like, you know, but I've known small farmers that do these bad things. And I'm like, yeah, I have lived and worked on a farm that was a disaster, <laughs> an absolute disaster. And all I did for six months was attempt to create some semblance of respect and some livable place for these animals to be and that was all I could do um that don't get me wrong but I still believe even in those instances there are better ways to go about it Mm -hmm. first of all I think it's really important to ask uh people who are knowledgeable in the area of farming that you're witnessing if this is the way it should be or if there's something wrong um like from Many farmers, I've heard people complain about seeing their um, livestock guardian dogs outside 24-7. Those dogs don't want to be inside. <laughs> they have shelter, you know, to like they sleep with the sheep. <laughs> they don't yeah. go anywhere else. That And I get it for a lot of people. And the thing is, those dogs, they're not necessarily family dogs, but many, many, many farms that I know truly love their livestock guardian dogs and they are treated very well. Um, yeah. But that's not a reason to call the authorities on a farm. (laughs) 
Uh, that happens too, and that's another form of harassment. Is is and again, it's a death by a thousand cuts. But that's one of the cuts that can happen over and over. Is somebody getting reported for frivolous things over and over and over again because someone disagrees with what they do or how they're doing it based on very specific, rigid personal beliefs. Yeah, and the I, the farmer that I mean, I had many farmers tell me about the livestock guardian dog thing. My dog, she is a guardian dog that I make sleep in the house at night because I care too much about her. But I, she's also part of a family dog for me. But at the same time, uh, she would be more than happy sleeping in a dirt nest outside. <laughs> but the person who told me about this was saying that she actually, and this is common for many farmers that I've talked to as well, that they actually really scrutinize what they're willing to put online because they're not willing to see a lot of people's different like opinions, um, which can be extremely overwhelming. Yeah. Well, Um, especially if they're delivered with anger, right? Yeah. Yeah. Got a question here. Yeah. I just moved, LOL. I just moved from California to the East coast and I got yelled at by some farmers asking about farming practices and ways to look for organic foods, but it was my fault, I guess, for not knowing. I mean, honestly, I don't, I wouldn't, if a farmer doesn't want to have a clean interaction with you, it goes both ways. Yeah. Kind of like true. <laughs> yeah. Some farmers got to chill too. And yeah. really some people, you know, I think consumers are very, far too much hung up on labels, particularly organic or not as, you know, whether it's a a bright line and I don't think it's the bright line that people think it is, but then also I think farmers are hung up on it too. And, and farmers probably aren't always comfortable thinking, but it's like, quit, quit stressing about that. Like don't get sucked into these things. And also there's, I mean, I say this to people a lot, like, there's certified organic and there's non-certified organic and there's natural farming practices and there's no spray farming practices. And there's a lot of, I I don't necessarily, I mean, again, it comes down to the how (laughs) for me and um, the labels on that is not necessarily important. Um, But um, yeah. And it like, yeah, to kind of close that loop off. But for me personally, when I, when someone mentioned like, well, I've seen terrible things at farms and da, 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 like a hundred percent, like that does happen. It is the minority though. And I still don't think it's a justification for online harassment. I think that the way you should, that should be handled is if possible, ask someone who's knowledgeable on the subject yep. or the farmer directly, yep. which I know everyone like, oh my gosh, phone conversations are knocking on someone's door. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> like, well, if it's respectful and you're treating people with dignity, then fine. If you're invading right. their personal space, if you're being angry and you yeah. know, engaging in harassment, totally different story. Totally. And um, if, you know, you find you come to find that there is something that is a true issue, then there's uh, different ways and different like authorities to access to address that issue. Um, and again, I, I just still think it doesn't belong online. <laughs> well, it, it's okay. I think the upshot here is 
you know, people cut it out if someone's doing that. And, and, and maybe somebody even has a weak moment. And I get it. I've mm-hmm. had my struggles with anxiety and things like that. And I can, you know, I've had plenty of moments of getting really irritable. And I remember one yeah. time in particular, I got into a, a social media exchange with someone that I regretted <laughs> so quickly after because I was a total jerk. And I just like <laughs> took it, turned it to 11 right away, you know, chill out. Number one, check yeah. yourself. Um, don't be rude. It's unbecoming to be angry. It's yeah. it's wrong. Don't do that. But then also step even further back and realize not only is it not great or, or wrong really on the personal level, at the system level, at the community and in our society, at that level, this is a negative. It's taking the system the wrong way. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's taking away from the people who care often about many of the same things that you do, even if it's not all exactly the same things, or at least have similar values. And maybe that's led them to different specific practices than what you think are good. But hold on, if you share the same values, maybe there's more to the story. And that's where we need to connect is sharing these values and making each other better, treating people with dignity and all recognizing that none of us are perfect. Is that a fair upshot? Yeah. I mean, and like, yeah, one of my, like I said, in the follow-up thing, I mean, regardless of what we all decide to put in our bodies, the most important thing we could do is support each other in recreating small community decentralized food systems that work for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, And, you know, there's that, like, you know, at, at my grandma's table, there was the thing where, you know, you don't talk about politics or religion because I grew yeah. up in Seattle and on my mom's side is in Eastern Washington. And that is very different. I'm not saying it didn't come up and I'm not saying there weren't times where like different sides of my family, like yep. do not necessarily, but um, there was always <laughs> a respect and like, and she enforced that pretty decent, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that people can't be passionate about what they believe in. And I'm not saying there isn't space for that in different areas, but when it comes to food, that is a human necessity. (laughs) Everybody needs food no matter what. And to me, politics and different, like, you know, I guess it's not necessarily religion, but ideologies (laughs) becoming, like really bound up in around it creates a really difficult place, not only for the farmers, but for the consumers and for the forward movement of something that is better for everybody. (laughs) Um, And that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm coming from with that is I don't really care who you are. um, As long as you're not an imminent physical threat to me, (laughs) Uh, I believe you have a right to know where your food comes from. You have a right to sources you have a right to connection and you should be able to have some part in producing your food if you want that. Um, (laughs) So that's, again, I think also why it's difficult for me because I know that I'm not the only one that feels that way when they're producing food. Farmers don't sit there and say like, this can only be made for some, you know, I can't speak for all farmers. Um, There is no absolutes in this world, but the farmers that I interact with and most majority, no one's saying like this food can't feed this type of person or this can't go here. So when they're confronted with these really stark ideologies and kind of attacks, 
I, again, I don't think people realize how, just how insulting that is yeah. or how hurtful yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. it, it is hurtful and, and, and hateful. Ona Lee, chef and farmer, Clara's Canning is the name of her business. Uh, check out her social media stuff. Check out her episode from last season of the podcast where we got her full story. It's episode number 105 of the Real Food, Real People podcast. Uh, and we sure would appreciate it if you'd follow along, follow us here on the Real Food, Real People podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, where you can get, catch our episodes. Make sure to check out this month's feature episode with uh, Shannon Smith out at My Shan Dairy. We just put that out last week, and it's a pretty awesome video. Uh, we're going to do I more of those where, yeah, where we actually get to walk around this season and, and check out the farm a little bit too, as well as getting the whole story. So we're kind of having fun with it. Um, we're doing it a little bit different since we're doing one of those a month, and then we're going to be having more of these conversations, hopefully live as, as often as possible, hopefully once a week, fingers crossed, um, here uh, for our other weekly episodes. Um, and I guess all I'd say here before, and we got to wrap up, but um, please send feedback. This is my first go at this whole live <laughs> video episode thing. Um only I'm going to be getting feedback from you for sure. I'll be bugging you. Okay, how, how can I do this better? But any of you out there, again, don't be hateful. Don't harass because I probably made some stupid mistakes. But I, I welcome that feedback. I want to know how we can be doing this better. Um, and I'm going to save this video and post it to our pages, right? Totally. It's going to be available cool. so it can be checked out. I recorded the audio so you could, you know, people can listen to it on the, the audio platform, Spotify, oh, cool. Apple Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll have it all there. Um, I think we're going to be doing this again at the same time next week, even though I'm open to input on that too, since we haven't done this before. What's the best time? What's the best day to be doing this? So. You know, everybody's schedule is different, but I, I again, I am just an open book. I'm figuring this out as I go. Uh, let me know what you like. But uh, Chef and Farmer, Ona <laughs> Lee, thank you so much for, for being with us here on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 